This week on the podcast, I have Mackenzie Bartholomew. She is a young Utah athlete who recently completed the Bigfoot 200 up in the Pacific Northwest. We got together to talk about training for big races, triathlons, and doing hard things even when you're kind of suffering. She has an amazing story, and I honestly think you'll get a lot of out of this episode. I hope you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed talking to her, and let's get on with it. Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. This week on the podcast, we have Mackenzie Bartholomew. She is a local athlete in Utah and has been doing this stuff for a long time, even though she isn't you know, old enough to say that she's been doing it for a long time. Um, she's done a bunch of triathletes and recently finished the Bigfoot 200. And we're just going to talk about training and racing and doing hard stuff. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Mm-hmm. So... First question that I tend to ask a bit of everybody is like, why do these things? Like they're super, they're hard, they're long. What drives you to find that place to train for things like Ironmans and 200 mile trail races? Um, For me, I'm kind of in this journey of trying to figure out how far I can go and what limits I can push. And I mean, right now I haven't found that limit yet, so I guess I'll keep going, (laughs) but I, I find this type two fun, um, really rewarding. Like as, as much as it hurts in the moment, like I always get done always, most of the time get done with these races. And I'm like, wow, that was really rewarding. Like, um, I talked about it a little bit, like a little while ago, but I think something that's really cool about these races and these experiences is that it like breaks us down into our raw form and we really get to see like who we are um, when, you know, when we're challenged like this. So. Yeah, I completely understand that. It's, it's uh, I think you find a part of yourself in trying to do some of this hard stuff that you would never find otherwise. Yeah, definitely. So like, when did you start doing these kind of events? Um, So I started triathlon. That's where my background is in endurance sports. Um, Back in 2014 was when I did my first Ironman. And I was 20 years old when I did that. So it was kind of crazy getting into it. Like a lot of people have told me, wow, you're really young, but it's always been kind of fun. Like my family has a pretty good background in, um, all these different sports. So my background is in triathlon. Did you, (laughs) my dad has always, sorry, what? No, I was going to ask about your dad and like your family. And like, if you have this background in this sport, like what, what do they do? And like, how did, how did that get you initiated in that? Like, what have you done in the past as far as sports? So I did high school swim team and I did track and field, and mostly field I did the discus but I also like doing the 100 and 400 meter dash but 
I'm you know, in high like school, when everybody else grew, I didn't grow. So <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. I just like stayed really level. I completely get that. I like hit a growth spurt in ninth grade and then never grew again. <laughs> yeah. So if you are a discus and sounds like sprinting athlete, how did you end up going from that to running 200 milers and a marathon at the end of, you know, already moving 114 miles? Well, I started small. So I started with the sprint and Olympic triathlons and uh, how I got into that actually was watching my dad and my brother do a triathlon. I think it was just a sprint. I say just a sprint, but sprints are awesome. Um, I was watching them do a sprint and I was like, why am I not doing this? This looks fun. So when I did the sprint, I was like, I'll, I'll try an Olympic. This is great. And, you know, I just kept building up the distance. So after an Olympic triathlon, I actually dove in the deep end and was like, I want to do an Ironman now, like, and ended up signing up for an Ironman before I ever did a half Ironman. Sure. So that's also kind of how my trail running <laughs> has been because the farthest trail running race I've ever done before the 200 was a 50 miler. So that was, that was insane. I had a lot of people ask me where the heck I got the confidence from. And I'm like, you know, I don't know, maybe it's stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I relate to that completely. I'm doing my first ultra in November and I've never run a marathon so sometimes you just gotta like find the thing that calls to you and skip the steps on the way yeah I I like to think of myself as a full send person or I want to be considered a full send <laughs> person so this is just part of that journey but yeah I think you'll do great thanks I mean it's I'll do fine I expect to finish at least which is the goal so yeah. if we're if we're looking at some of this Ironman stuff like I'm training a, someone for a half Ironman right now. And it's, it's a heck of a journey. Like you're trying to get proficient at three sports. Like I, it's just the amount of time you need to spend. Even like, aside from getting good at any of those sports, the sheer amount of time you need just to be like competent at three things to go that far is nuts. Like, how do you find the ability to push all of that into your life? Like fit that into your life? Um, ooh. with triathlon, it was really difficult, honestly, like, I don't recommend it for everybody. Like if you have a family, and if yeah. you guys want to do stuff, then it takes up a lot of that time. And that's a reason why I switched over from triathlon to trail running is because those training blocks for Ironmans is really brutal. Um, I mean, for everybody, like it's not just hard to train, but like you need a really good support system to be able to, you know, get ready for an Ironman. It's a lot of time and a lot of hours trying to balance three different sports, but for sure. Are we I talking like 15, thing, 20 hour peak weeks kind of thing? Yeah, I can't, I think one of my top peak weeks was about 25 hours. God, I think. So much time. <laughs> yeah. And 
I, I tried to balance my schedule a little bit with early morning workouts. Like one time me and my friend got up at three in the morning to go biking at 4 a.m. And we had our bikes. We had so many lights on our bikes. It was like we had Tron bikes or something, but it, <laughs> it was crazy. Like if I think the best thing to do is just wake up really early in the morning so you can just get it done and move on with your day. But yeah. I mean, sometimes that's all you can do. And then you're like trying to find that balance of sleep though. So if you have like sleep struggles, you're, I don't know. Like I have a friend who does it too. She's seems similarly driven to you and <laughs> 20 hour peak week. I don't know. Like, unless you're getting paid to do this, it's really hard to fit into a like normal human life schedule. Yes. It's, I don't know, not sustainable for me. I mean, I got burned out from the high peak weeks and sure. I'm just trying to balance three different sports and the sleep thing is a huge thing. Also, yeah. uh, my friends tease me about this, but I drink um, energy drinks and I love them. <laughs> it just gives me a little bit more pep. So sure. I bet uh, you did one earlier this year, didn't you? A try? Uh, yeah, I actually, I tried to do Ironman St. George mm-hmm. and That one was a really tough one, Um, not because, you know, the course is really brutal, but because this was the race that I originally signed up for in 2019, and then COVID postponed and canceled it, and then I deferred to Ironman Coeur d'Alene in 2021, but I ended up getting COVID myself and was not able to push through the training, Um, so... Ironman St. George 2022, two years later after I was supposed to do it, going through the um, buildup, the peak weeks and tapering. Yeah, it's is brutal. But I ended up DNFing Ironman St. George. I made it to halfway through the marathon at the end. And then I was just it was a really hot day. We had all been yeah. fighting the wind and um, on the run that all caught up with me. So I ended the race throwing up in the gutter and <laughs> you're going yeah, to talk pretty. to a lot of people on this podcast who completely know where, where you were different sport, but oh yeah, a lot of carryover there. It was not pretty. Like, I don't know if you want me to paint a picture, but you know, Gatorade coming back up, it's still bright. Like there's still vibrant colors. (laughs) I feel like if you're drinking the red one, you might just look where you're bleeding. Like Yeah. That'd be scary, but just blue Gatorade. (laughs) So did you basically train three, three times for one race, like go through three training cycles for a single race? Yes, but the last cycle, so I was so over being roped into this race for two and two years. So I don't recommend this, but I kind of winged it. (laughs) Um, So this was going to be my fifth Ironman and I felt like I had a pretty good base. So got a handful of swims in, did a few long bike rides but at that point I was mostly just trail running and um, just excited to do Bigfoot 200 and couldn't wait to get the Ironman out of the way but that's what happens when you can't get the race done within two years or so of when you sign up for it 
I mean, I feel that. I think that's probably like kind of fair across the board. When you sign up for a thing, you're pretty stoked for it. And uh, if the race I had in two months were delayed for two years, I probably would not be all that ready for it by the time I got there anyway, even if it was still the same sport I was intrigued with. Like it's just, yeah. you know, you get a little faded on it. I get that. Yeah. I mean, I was unfortunate and I went through the whole emotional roller coaster of DNFing a race and I really wanted to get it done, but um, having the opportunity to do this next cool thing, uh, Bigfoot 200 was something that I was really excited for and to move on to the next big adventure. So I think that kind of helped. That's awesome. I'm glad because yeah, DNF can be really tough. So let's like, let's talk about Bigfoot. What drove you to want to do Bigfoot? It looks just very awesome. <laughs> like I, I have a love for the woods that we can kind of get into later, but looking at that course and that entire area just looks beautiful, but brutal. Like what made you want to do that race? in order to like skip the hundred, skip all these other phases, like go straight from 50 miler to do like Bigfoot 200? So uh, my dad actually was the one that came up with the idea of doing a 200. And when he like presented the idea to me, I was like, are you crazy? I haven't even done more than a 50 at this point. And I was like, I guess, I guess I'll try it. If you want to do it, I'll, I'm, I'm game to try it. And, and so uh, Destination Trails has three different 200s right now. So after volunteering at Moab 240, I was like, do not want to do that one. Like I already live in Utah. I'm sick of the <laughs> desert. So um, it's either Bigfoot or Tahoe 200. And I had had my heart set on Tahoe 200 because I did an Ironman in Tahoe sure. uh, before it got discontinued. So I was like, there's a lot of magic at Tahoe. Um, but just with the timing, um, Bigfoot worked out uh, the best for us. And ultimately, like with that being the toughest of the 200s, um, I was really excited to give it a go. Like, let's do this. <laughs> So that's awesome. My dad's I mean, idea. It looks like mine. a bunch of climb, right? What is it like 45,000 feet or something like that? Uh, it says 46,000, but a lot of people suspect it's like 42,000. Either way, I mean, I it's like a lot. It feels like equivalent over <laughs> yeah. a few thousand at that point. So if we're looking at the race, how, how'd it go? How was it? It was, it was really good. I mean, for not doing anything more than 50 miles. I think it went pretty smoothly. Um, at mile 65 though, or mile 60, I guess in that section, it was the cold water to Norway section. And there was a pretty, there was a big climb. And uh, at that point, me and my dad didn't realize that we were making not the greatest decisions and our crew didn't realize that either. So, Uh, (laughs) we went into that section pretty unprepared like thinking we were going to get done with that 18 mile section at nine in the morning but we ended up not getting done with that section at like one or two in the afternoon so we only had our night gear with us and it was the heat of the day and yeah um 
after that point, that was a huge, that was a really low, low in the race. So trying to make up from that mistake, like we spent a lot of time in that section that kind of dug us a pretty big hole and then trying to make up during the rest of the race was pretty tough. I mean, if anybody was tracking my race, they saw that I was riding the cutoffs pretty dang close and yeah, it was stressful. Like I hate riding the cutoffs. I end up doing that quite a bit in trail running. Sure. <laughs> I always tell myself, okay, next time I'm not going to be right on the cutoffs <laughs> because it's so stressful. Yeah. But overall, I think it went really good. Um, my crew was fantastic. Like they did a lot of damage control every time I came into the aid station and or yeah, every time I came into the aid stations, they were doing, they did their damage control. They would sit me down, take my pack, do everything for me and be like, you just sit down and try to sleep for 20 minutes till we got ready for awesome. the next section. But. So I guess I'll jump off on that one. I'm really glad it went well. I'm glad you made it. I was following your tracker along with a few other people and uh, noticed that you were like right there and just like rooting for you the whole way through. So I'm glad you made it. On the sleep front, like this, I forget what your finish time was, but it was like over a hundred hours or something. How do you find the time to like sleep? How do you, how do you push that? I know there's a bunch of different strategies, but what did you find that kind of worked for you? Cause you're not going to not sleep for four days straight. So, yeah. So it took me 106 hours to get through 209 miles and I had We had a plan, a sleep plan, but things don't always go according to the plan. And with riding the cutoffs like I was, I wasn't able to get very many solid sleep blocks in. Sure. Um, So my first sleep, um, actually, so I should probably tell you and everybody that's listening, um, that the ideal strategy, or from what I've heard, the ideal strategy, a sleep strategy for the 200 is to sleep more often in the first 100 miles. And then the second 100 is to just grab sleep when you can. Got it. Um, But I guess most people try to sleep more in the first 100 miles um, just to keep their, you know, fresh, fresh mind as long as they can. So for me, my first sleep was at mile 65 and actually I think was the longest sleep that I could get the whole race. It was about an hour long or an hour and maybe 20 minutes. And then, um, the rest of the race, I think I only got one more chunk of hour and a half sleep, um, around mile shoot. I'd have to look at the course cause all of the miles blend together. But so I only got like two, one and a half hour sleeps. And then the rest of the time was in 20, 30 minute chunks. So that was something that was really difficult for me. Sure. Um, And a lot of people, I guess, really do struggle with turning their brain off and falling asleep whenever they get a chance, like an extra few minutes to sleep. Um, But for me, I was after mile 80, it was pretty easy for me to fall asleep. (laughs) I was tired. So yeah, um, the, I guess 
my goal was to mostly sleep in the aid stations. Um, but after mile 130 um, and around 170, I started getting really tired just on the trail. So there were a few sections where I told my pacer, like, I have got to stop. Like, my brain is not working. I think I'll be able to push harder if I get 20 minutes of sleep because, you know, we were pushing the cutoff. So I was trying to find that balance of like, do I risk it and try to get some sleep or do I just push through and just get through the next aid station to make sure I get through the cutoff? That was a pretty difficult difficult balance to find um and i don't know if i mentioned before but i only got about four hours of sleep in that 106 hour span so i guess four or five days i only got oh that's terrible four hours of sleep yeah good for you i mean i i don't know how i would make those choices under that like levels like exhaustion i guess I felt, you know, I felt like we could push those limits because I had pacers with me. Nice. Um, a lot of these races that people go into it, going, doing it solo. And uh, it gets pretty dangerous if you are by yourself. Um, people don't make the best decisions. I mean, sure. if we want to talk about sleepwalking, I did do that really? um, at one point in the race where my pacer went up a little ways um, to use to go to the bathroom. And as soon as he was out of sight, I started dream walking and I was on the trail, just following my pacer. And the next thing I know I'm headed up the side of the mountain, looking for a lake that didn't exist. So, um, I kind of, I gave my pacer, um, a little bit of a scare because he expected me to come following up the trail. Um, and I never came up the trail. So he turned around and started backtracking and then couldn't find me for a while. Couldn't find me. And this was in the middle of the night. So I had a Kogala light on luckily, um, to light everything up, but he came down, he came down the trail, went around the corner. I wasn't there, came down the trail a little bit more around another corner and I wasn't there. And then on the next corner, he came around, he saw me like up on the side of the mountain, like not even on the trail. And he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm looking for the lake. And he's like, there's no lake. So that, feels like that a was a wild experience. <laughs> and something in these 200 milers that a lot of people experience is hallucinations. Oh yeah. And and they can get pretty scary for people. Like I, it's kind of nerve wracking thinking that people are doing this alone. Um, but I guess that's where they um, don't have as much freedom to push the cutoffs or um, to push that sleep deprivation as much as you know I did and some other people do and get away with it. And that's great for them. <laughs> yeah. They would not have done very well without pacers, so. I can feel that. Yeah, I've heard. I mean, I I do fairly well on not enough sleep uh, up to a point. And I have heard Michael McKnight talk about sleep deprivation hallucinations on some of these trails. And it sounds sounds right to me. I mean, terrible, but absolutely right. So It was, yeah, it was crazy. I think one of my hallucinations um, was probably around 
110 miles or 105 miles or so. And um, me and my pacer were walking through the woods and, you know, there was this stump, but to me, it was a chainsaw carved bear. Like, you know, those cute little bears they make out of stumps and logs. I thought I was seeing those like all over the (laughs) woods. And I look at my pacer and I'm like, Dawn, look at this chainsaw carved bear. And all she heard was, look at this chainsaw bear. And she's like, what is going on? And I like walk up to this random stump and I'm like, look. And as soon as I like get, you know, within arm's reach of it, I'm like, this is a regular stump. And she's like, you're already losing your mind. (laughs) How far were you in at that point? Sorry, what? Like ballpark, how far in were you at that point? Um, so I was about, uh, let's see, mile one, I don't know, between 100 and 110 miles in. Okay, so you had a ways to go when your brain started to be like, we're done. (laughs) Yeah, long ways to go. And I think it was about like 60 hours in and I only had one hour of sleep. So yeah, yeah. That's a rough day. Like, and I mean that intentionally because that's basically one long day. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. Um, well, power to you. So if you're looking at sleep, like how I can't be the only struggle. Like I've seen some of the photos you've been posting on social media. Um, and I'd love to ask about your ankle if you're willing to share, like what went on there. Yeah, um definitely. what happened? And the big one is like how are you? able to find the like power to push through that? Ah, man. Okay. So my ankle injury, I guess the best or easiest way to describe it that some people might be able to relate to is shin splints. Um, although I, that's not what it feels I had. Deeply it's, understated. <laughs> it's, um, you know, that muscle, that feeling of the muscle just tearing away from your from your bone, like it burned, it was sharp pain and oh man. So during training, I had run into that a few times on my longer runs. Like when I was doing a 20 mile run, it would pop up around 15 miles or 17 miles. But I did start to notice that it was with more training that it was starting to, you know, draw itself out. So, um, the more I got conditioned for these longer distances, it would start to happen later on in my runs. But, um, so I knew going into Bigfoot that it was a possibility or a real possibility that it was going to happen because it was popping up here and there in training and in training, when it popped up around 17 miles, I would try to finish out the last few miles and be like, okay, now I can not have to deal with this pain. But in the 200, um, it popped up around mile 30 and started to get pretty bad around mile 40. And then, yeah, it was just, oh, it was not fun. (laughs) It's early to be suffering that hard. It was, it was really daunting because like I had these different plans to try to mitigate the pain. Like I had compression sleeves, pressure seemed to help a little bit, but I honestly didn't know like 
how to push through the pain um, or how I was going to, because when it really, really got painful was at mile 65. So uh, that was the aid station that we had come in from really struggling through the night. Um, it was the Norway aid station. And I came into that aid station limping, crying, like crying pretty hysterically. Like, I don't know how much I can go. Like my ankle kills right now. Oh man. And um, we had tried like different things um, like the Voltaren gel, um, my pacer and crew, Dawn, who um, is a PA, so she has a lot of medical experience. Um, but she uh, decided, like, you know, we went through like the inflammation, and she dug her thumbs into my shin, trying to break up the inflammation. And that's one of those pictures where you might have seen where I'm just like, ah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds miserable. <laughs> it put every single blister to shame as far as pain goes. Like blisters didn't even phase uh, me during the race. I mean, they hurt like here <laughs> there, but that pain that I dealt with from mile 40 through the entire rest of the 200 was really difficult. And, um, the pain really intensified on the downhills, um, and just flexing. I mean, I guess not flexing, but extending my ankle, um, to the down downward slope was really painful. Um, my only plan was that like, I guess we'll just take, I'll just take Tylenol and, um, I would have it dosed out because I would have taken a lot more than (laughs) what my pacer was giving me. Like she was only giving me two Tylenols and every six hours. And I would like keep checking my watch. Like, is it time yet? Um, For the record, not medical advice, Don's a medical professional. So, you know, if you have a medical professional on your team, maybe you get to use acetaminophen. Good for you. So, so awesome. yeah, definitely don't take ibuprofen or any of Seriously. those NSAIDs. But Thank you. yes, um, as far as Tylenol goes, some people make their own decisions whether they want to take um, pain numbing medica- uh, medications. Um, but for me, like I knew, um, we weren't going to be in too much trouble and, um, throughout like all my racing, I've been one of those kind of people that as long as it's not extreme, uh, you know, risk that I was just going to do a lot of damage control after the race. For sure. So that's kind of the mindset that I was going with in Bigfoot. I mean, I'm one of the people I used to pop ibuprofen like candy when I was like trying to play on a like busted ankle, which nobody should do. I'm going to like iterate that right now. It's really bad for your kidneys. But like, I didn't know that I was 20 to 25. Right. So like at least Tylenol is not going to give you the push towards rhabdo. It's still a bad idea. You should still, you know, talk to whatever medical staff you have available before getting into it. But I uh, sometimes, you know, you make choices and you finished. So good for yeah. you. Yeah, I made the you. decision that I was going to try to take Tylenol just to bring the pain down a few for notches real. to where it was bearable. Um, because I was, I was really wanting to get that finish for big. Oh, yeah. So um, Don was there thankfully to be like, no, stop taking Tylenol. Like you need to slow down. And I was like, oh, fine you're the expert. So (laughs) 
Um, the thing that was really hard for me. So like, I guess there were a lot of like, it was a roller coaster of pain and, and extreme pain. So, um, once that six hours started like to, uh, you know, get to that mark, I was definitely checking my watch. Like, when can I take more Tylenol? Um, and at every aid station, so leading up to every aid station, I would start to get emotional knowing that like, I, I could rest for a little bit and I could just like, you know, stop having to fight. So, uh, mentally hard, um, against this pain. So yeah, that was, it was really difficult, um, to battle through that pain. And I had no idea that it was going to hurt so bad, but could have done without it for oh, sure. Absolutely. So like what, I guess like everybody struggles with the, the mental game a lot of the time in ultra running, it's always hard. Like you're going to hit a low, even if your ankle isn't the size of a grapefruit. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you use like any strategies, mantras, anything to like get through when it was really tough, especially when you were in that much pain? Um, one mantra that me and my friend Don uh, talked about, it kind of developed during the race. Um, and I can't remember who said it, but uh, it goes like this. So uh, when you think you're effed, you're only 40% effed. <laughs> I love so that. Um, that was one thing. And then you know, like my mantra that I kind of talked about was just being able to find my limits, like how far can my legs take me? Like, this is really exciting. And after 50 miles, every mile was a PR. And, um, you know, when things started to get really hard, I was like, I made 110 miles. Like that's, that's a new PR. I'm so stoked. Like if this is where my race ends, then that's still pretty crazy that I made it as far as I did, but that, yeah, there are a lot of different things that just kind of changed my motivation and helped. I really like that. I like the new PR thing. I think it's, you know, important to remember. And I really like that that's your framing for it. Cause I know some people who kind of panic on that. Um, Cause there's two ways we can look at that, right? Like there's, oh, I've never gone this far. And like every step you take is, oh, I've never gone this far. Or it's like, I just keep setting PRs all day. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It was really exciting. I mean, something that kind of made me like a little freaked out was I had a lot of people before the race even started, they're like, how are you doing this? Like, how are you not freaking out? And I'm like, oh, I'm not freaking out. I'm not freaking out at all. <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, uh, 200 miles is a long ways. If you get the, if you get that race anxiety, you have 107 hours to work through it. So uh, yeah. uh, it's, that is probably the healthiest way to frame that possible. That's awesome. <laughs> so if you're looking at training for one of these, um, how, like, how do you train for something that far? So I knew like with my lack of a long distance experience, um, that the best idea would probably to get a coach. So me and my dad, um, talked to our good friend, uh, Ben light, who has done a bunch of two hundreds and has so much experience and awesome. has done two hundreds and beyond that. And so I figured, 
I mean, we knew like we had a lot invested in this race and we wanted to get a good idea of how to train for it. So um, talking with him and getting a good plan of like what kinds of training runs we needed to do, how much climbing uh, to get us ready for Bigfoot, um, the 46,000 feet of climbing. Um, so a lot of our weekends were um, back to back, like Friday, Saturday, long runs, like 17 miles or 20 miles and just uh, being able, and I guess being able to build off of those longer distances. Um, but truthfully, I never did anything more than 20, 25 miles um, cool. besides Squaw Peak 50, which was the, um, was, let's see, a few months before Bigfoot. And I also DNF'd that one because really? it that. was 97 degrees that day. And my salt plan was not, <laughs> was not beefy enough for a day like that. Uh, this feels like the summer of that. I don't know how closely you felt. I had one, an athlete or two this year go to that due to like big temperature swings and all sorts of stuff like sodium will get you for sure it was nuts so I mean you probably know I went into the race thinking we need 200 300 milligrams of sodium turns out I need more like 1300 so and a 97 degree day yeah probably like oh. two to two to three hundreds like below what I usually do for baseline much less on a really heat really hot day yeah yeah it was a good lesson to learn, but uh, learned in a really hard way. You can overdo it too. Like that's actually what happened with um, both my athletes this year. They were doing great and then uh, took a little too much at an aid station and like couldn't, couldn't get their stomachs back. So oh, like sodium, sodium's hard and like it's a really hard thing to dial in because yes. it doesn't, when we're talking half a gram makes a difference, like that's a tough thing. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um, I probably should have taken those sweat tests or something, but just, I took, I started with one of those general surveys. Like, are you a heavy sweater? Do you have, yep. the, do you get the salt lines? I get dusted in salt when it's hot. Like I get the salt lines, I can sure. wipe my cheeks and there's tons of salt on my face. So I was like, I'm just, I'm going to do a lot more salt. Yeah. <laughs> so. I bet you're like a gram, gram and a half, probably. That makes sense. Cool. <laughs> so if you're looking at some of the training, I love that it wasn't that far and you're just looking back to backs. I think that makes, you know, so much sense to me as a coach. And I feel like that's really what it's going to be anyway. Just like putting in the climbs and putting in the time in your feet. So yeah, like how, how big were some of your like peak weeks for you? 10 hours? I don't know. What would that look like? Oh, I, uh, it's kind of hard to measure it by hours because, um, trail runs, when I say it'll be two hours, it ends up being like three or four, but, um, (laughs) as far as mileage goes, it was probably like a typical, um, training week throughout the week. So maybe like five or eight miles and maybe a 10 mile run, um, on a Thursday. And then, um, Friday and Saturday were like back to back 20 miles. And then one of those, um, 20 mile runs, I had to do like 6,000 feet of climbing, sure. uh, which in the pick grand scheme of things, 
for Bigfoot was not a lot. No. But... I say, were you just like doing grandeur loops? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. I put together a pretty awesome course around Brighton. Oh, nice. Um, and I love running up there. So uh, getting to uh, log 20 miles with a bunch of other crazy people that wanted an epic run was pretty fun. So we made those long runs really fun. That's legit. It's really cool. So if we're looking at after this, I guess, how do you feel about these long races? Like, what are you, what are you looking at as far as racing calendar next? Oh man, next year, um, I don't have anything officially on the calendar. Um, mostly just focusing on, um, putting the unicorn races together and then, um, She's going to kill me for saying this, but my pacer, Dawn, um, actually signed up for Bigfoot 200 because, you know, it was Fire. such a great experience that we're both like, we need to do this again. So <laughs> I'm going to be crewing her next year. And I'm awesome. stoked. Um, and so we're both going to be training for that. And um getting a lot of training runs in, but I have kind of looked at a few races next year. I think um, Squaw Peak 50 again would be another really good one because I DNF'd it. So I have got to do something better. I have a better plan now. So I want to put that into, into action. Um, but I also think the Bear 100 um, would be a really fun one. <laughs> I've joked with people like, what do you want to do after the 200? I'm like, maybe settle down, maybe do a 100 or something. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's a fun one that I think has some awesome things about it. Like it's pretty notorious for having bad weather. And honestly, I love bad, crazy weather. Like as long as you have the right gear and a lot of extra gear, um, I think it's, it makes things really exciting. So, um, yeah, bear 100, I think would be really fun, but not That's on awesome. the schedule yet. That's cool. Yeah. That one's notorious for like just getting trucked with weather. So that'd be fun. Oh yeah. And my dad ended up, um, attempting that one. He, and I was supposed to pace him at mile 75 and we were going to go to, um, the finish line, but the year that I was up there, like getting ready to pace, it was torrential rain for so long. It was so exciting. And I was like, this is uh, bad. Like I hope everybody and yeah, anyways, really exciting. Cool. But those races are the ones where I'm like, I hope everybody has really good gear. But... For and 100%. I'd rather I'd take cold and rainy any day over hot and a hundred degrees or even if it was like 90 degrees I'd take a rainy day I think you're day. honestly probably in pretty pretty good company with that one yes oh I would say like thank you for coming on we're going to talk about one more thing but like in doing research for this you have an inherent love for the outdoors that I like often don't see in people like I know we all have it but like when we get into discussing training, it can feel like very nitpicky. And while I do think it's like important, so we don't, you know, overhydrate or underhydrate or sodium or whatever, like I think we sometimes forget why we do this in the first place. And just like perusing your Instagram feed, you clearly still like maintain that 
this like delight from being outside. Yeah. So, like, do you do you have to work to keep that or all that? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Like, honestly, um, from the triathlon background, I know everything with triathlon is so rigid and like gotta get this six sure. hours or I gotta get this three hour run in and I gotta get this mileage. And honestly, like for trails, it's such a nice relief just being able to say, all right, I have this route planned. I think it'll take this much time, but you know, um, for me, trails has a lot of different purposes. Like I find the trails and the outdoors, um, really grounding to like what I love to do. And, um, just a lot of, I do a lot of problem solving out there too, like just working through um, my own thoughts and everything, but you know, it's, it's fun to find a trail or find like a really hard mountain to climb and be like, all right, we're going to hit it hard this time. So it's definitely like an interesting balance to try to find and like what people need to keep it enjoyable and I know like everybody's different but for me it's just all about the adventure and being able to like go see new things go see cool things because not everybody has this experience and opportunity to explore the mountains and what everything Utah has to offer so I love that well thank you um I know you're putting on a race here in what, two weeks um, called the last unicorn and I'm going to be volunteering there. So let's hear a little about it. What's, what's the deal with this race? Okay. Yeah. So um, the ultimate unicorn challenge is a 12 and 24 hour challenge that we have set up uh, at Big Springs Park in Provo Canyon. And it's a four mile loop. So um, to me, it's really great for um, beginners or seasoned athletes, like whoever wants to come and try to push their limits. Or um, I think it's a really conservative approach for those people that are nervous about signing up for a 50K or 50 miles because you only need to take it in four mile chunks. And if you need to call it a day, if something happens, then you're not committed to running 20 mile, 20 more miles to get to the next aid station. Well, they're not that far, but you're not committed to running 10 more miles to the, get to the next aid station. It's broken up. And we have this really awesome base camp that we're cooking food for people. We're logging their miles. We're, you know, playing music and just keeping that stoke up at, for as long as how people, however long that people want to keep cranking out those miles and those laps. It's really exciting because last year I had a few people approach me and be like, the longest I've ever run is 15 miles. I don't know how many more I can do. I'm like, we'll just keep going and, you know, take care of issues as they come up. And there were a lot of people that got their first 50 mile or done at that race when they have only done 15 miles. And it's really exciting to see what people can do. So it's a very safe and conservative ultra marathon, but people get kind of scared at that term. So this is a 12 and 24 hour challenge. Go however I love that. <laughs> That's super cool. Well, yeah, I'll be there. And if anybody wants to see me like stay awake all night, come on over. 
It'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. We're excited to have you. And oh, it's it's a party. This is one of my, this is <laughs> I think my favorite race to put on. So getting to see everybody's highs and lows throughout the race is pretty exciting too. So it's legit. Do you put on other ones throughout the year? Uh, I yes, I put on a 55k. Um, that's down in Hobble Creek Canyon. And it used to be in August. The first year was in August, but this year we changed it to May. And it was perfect this year. Like the course was beautiful. Everything was still green because, you know, Utah, the colors change from green to brown pretty quick in the summer. So um, it was it was a fun race. There were like 11, 12 stream and river crossings. So it was a good opportunity for people to cool down. But yeah, just running through and frolicking through the mountains in Hobble Creek was also really fun. So different style than the 24 hour challenge. But that's awesome. What's that one called? Uh, it is the Unicorns Unleashed 55K. There seems to be a theme here of the unicorn. Yeah, I mean, unicorns are cool and there aren't very many other themed ultra marathons out there. So I think it's a fun way to uh, get a lot of miles and, you know, be silly if you want to be silly. We had a few people um, wear unicorn horns throughout the whole race. One guy carried a big unicorn stuffed animal on his pack for the whole 55K and it's fun. It sounds <laughs> delightful. I love that. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to add before we check out? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I just want to recommend everybody. Like, it's such a great experience to be able to like push yourselves and to try not to let those um, mental barriers hold you back too much. Like, there's nothing wrong with failing and learning from those failures, and just keep trying if. If a distance doesn't work out for you, that doesn't mean it's the end of the road for you. It's just, you got to keep learning and keep pushing. So. I love that. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hang out for one sec. Everybody listening. Thank you very much for being here. And we'll be back soon with another one. See ya. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.